This is unstructured. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Um, today, I'm on with a fellow podcaster, Brett Montgomery. I've actually been on his show, The Open Mic Podcast, where no subject is off limits. Now, I will tell you, it's kind of hard to find that podcast by name in iTunes because I was trying to search for it, <laughs> and I found it under Brett Allen, A-L-L-A-N, two T's on Brett. Yes. Now, I've noticed that over time, and the first question I have for our friend Brett is, who are you, Brett Montgomery <laughs> or Brett Allen? Well, I go by, my last name is Montgomery, but I go by Brett Allen because several years ago, I was in New Mexico, and I went through the New Mexico Broadcasting Academy. And so I was a weekend drive time DJ for a local Christian radio station. Um, it's now called 88.3. It's now called Star FM, but it's gone through several name changes. It was static radio at the time. And they told me, you got to pick a name. Don't want to use your last name. So I went with my middle name as moniker. And so... When I started the podcast, I was like, well, I'll, what can I call myself? And Brett Allen just kind of went with the flow. That's actually my middle name, ironically. So that's why I chose to go with it. Okay. Well, I guess there's less for people to type. Right. <laughs> that, that definitely that had me confused. Now, I, I did not know that you were um, actually trained as a broadcaster. What is that about? What's that like? So there was an academy class it was about six months where they teach you everything you could ever want to know about radio broadcasting you talk a lot about fcc regulations you talk about how to talk on the air how to have cadence lots of different things they teach you programming and producing so i started out and i'd always had an affinity for radio um, and when I was a kid, I used to do performances for my mom on film, eight millimeter film. So that tells you how old I am. But a long story short, the church I was going to at the time had a broadcasting academy through the state of New Mexico. It was certified. So it's actually college credit. Um, so I actually have four credit hours towards my degree from that. And then I started out producing a radio program called ABQ Connect with a local DJ. His name is Peter Benson, and I was his board operator for a long time. And then life happened, and I stopped doing it. And when I started the podcast, I figured it would be a good fit just because I have kind of the experience of doing it and what goes into production and putting a show together um, and sound editing and is sound editing as well. That's awesome. Okay, so you can edit your own tracks, et cetera. But I think that a lot of people get confused, and I'm not completely sure where the lines are. Can can we discuss a little bit of um, how it works, as in what is the difference between a producer and a sound editor? So a producer is one who would go out and find talent for the, the host to interview. You do pre-interviews with the guest. And you also make sure that they have advanced questions if necessary. So if you're having like a political figure on, 
they're going to want to know what type of questions you're going to ask so they can be prepared and you don't throw them off guard. Now you can tell them I, there's a way to put the screws to somebody, but in a polite way. And so that was sort of my job was to phrase questions so that the, the, the host could ask. And oftentimes they just kind of vamp off of it. So that's what a producer does is they do all of that. They also run the soundboard or mix channels while the host is doing it. And then of course the sound editor, they sometimes can be synonymous, but really what you're doing is you're just making sure everything sounds good, editing out pauses and tracks, coughs, any kind of ambient noise, which you would be familiar with doing a podcast. So sometimes they're separate, but sometimes they can go together depending on, what kind of budget the radio station has and if they can hire enough people to do the job. Mm, Okay. So ultimately then a producer may be multiple hats could be, or maybe one specific hat. Right. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And what, um, What did you look for in your guests and for content for a a Christian show like that? Well, the interesting thing about that show is we just kind of went for everybody. So we had a lot of different folks on there. We would have musicians. We would have political figures. We would have book authors. And what would happen is, is we would just, we were a part of a system where we would get emails and books that would just come in constantly people this is my new book i would love to come on your show and they were at a place where people would try and reach out to them to want to come on the show so it was very easy to be able to do that so you didn't have to go out and try and find people necessarily they were more like hey we're making a circuit we're doing a press junket we want to come on your program so we had everybody on there really And then, of course, if it was a guest that the show didn't necessarily agree with the perspective, but we wanted to have them on to just talk about their show or what they were doing at the time, you know, we'd say the views and opinions of this guest do not necessarily reflect those of ABQ Connect or its staff therein. And so we would put a tag at the end of it just so people would know hey, this person might be talking about something that we don't necessarily agree with, but we're having them on because they have a story to tell. And that's part of what having a radio program is or a podcast is you're not doing it necessarily for you per se, but to have them come on and have a platform to talk about their story, which is what makes it fun. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm, I'm guessing that you may have been a little bit more restricted there than you are currently. I mean, you yeah, said. <laughs> by far. <laughs> and that's why I, I've shared with you offline before, you know, although that might be my perspective or sphere of influence, I don't let myself be limited by that because that's not what I'm really trying to do uh, in my podcast. Uh, there's a lot of those out there, but clearly by some of the guests that I've had on before and and will continue to have on, you know, it's more of a passion project in that sense than trying to like pinhole myself into not that those podcasts are bad. That's just not what I want to do. 
personally. <laughs> that makes sense. I uh, That's very similar to what I'm doing with Unstructured. So we, our formats, I think, are actually pretty close. Yeah, I would say I, so. I want to... I want to scratch my own itch and just mm-hmm. meet cool people. Yeah. Learn their stories. And it's very hard to do that if I start judging who is going to be on or sure. what they're doing. It There were plenty of places for them to be judged. Totally. Or for them to have conflict, et cetera. That's not really my, my thing. Not me either. Now, your current day job, because obviously uh, neither of us are able to exactly do this full time, is you're a wine broker. Yes. Now, what got you into that? And what is it? (laughs) So, well, I had no experience in wine at all. Knew nothing about it. I, in fact, pronounced the name of certain varietals of wine wrong in my job interview. And at the time, he was not my manager, but who is now my manager, vice president of the company, laughed and said, don't worry, we'll teach you how to say that. (laughs) So really, my background is in sales. I've had a lot of sales jobs in my life, all kinds of different things. And so I was looking for work. I would been driving Uber and Lyft and but needed something more consistent. So I went through Craigslist and found a job. And the byline for the job was drink wine at your desk at work. And I was like, that sounds cool. So I, that was literally the first thing that got my attention, drink wine at work. So I applied, went through a series of about four interviews and got the job. And I've been very fortunate and blessed in a sense to have a really good amount of success doing it. And selling wine. And so that's how I got started in it. And I've been doing it now for just a little over two years. Now, how how does that work? I mean, do you work in a wine store? Do you go to restaurants and and sell collection? I I just don't know how that. No. So basically what my job is, if, so I probably shouldn't mention the name of the company, but we're basically a direct to consumer third party for a large group of wineries throughout the Napa Valley and also in Southern California and Washington State, Oregon, all over the place. And so our company, we contract with those wineries so they don't have to do it because they don't have the manpower to make it work. So essentially, If somebody comes and they visit the winery and let's say you join a wine club or you purchase wine or you're a restaurant owner, whatever the case might be, my job is to essentially broker a deal or make a deal between you and the winery and we represent the winery. So if you're looking to buy wine or a case of wine or a bottle of wine, my job is to sell it to you based on what your tastes are, what you are using it for, whether you're having a party or you're having friends over. It could just be a million different things. And so that's what I do. And I sell wine and (laughs) I sell a lot of it. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And I work out of an office here in the Napa area and I just call people all day and, and talk to them and we have meetings and we have, it's a sales job. So there's goals that have to be met and 
we have numbers that have to be met. And so it can oftentimes be a very stressful job, but a rewarding one. And and I like people and I like wine. So I received a (laughs) crash course on wine. I could probably tell you more about wine than you would ever want to know or what most people know. And I don't want to sound like a wine snob because that's kind of what we call people uh, or cork dorks, you know, people who just (laughs) kind of cork dork. I like that. Yeah. So, but it's more of just like having that knowledge in the back of your head. But some people want to know, I can tell you about what a rating is on a wine, why it gets that, what goes into the rating. You know, there's just a million different things. And and a lot of people want to know that if they're a collector, some people buy it, you know, to collect some people buy it to just drink right away. So everybody's got their thing. And, and my job is to help you sort of figure all that out and get you the best bang for your buck. So to speak. <laughs> But so yeah, to speak. Okay, so <laughs> that's that is such an interesting field. And with wine, honestly, I'm clueless. And and if I'm being honest with the audience, a little suspect. I, I don't know necessarily that a hundred dollar wa- bottle of wine is better than another twenty dollar bottle of wine, or if my palate is sophisticated enough to even know the difference. Well, and that's what I always tell people. You know, the phrase "beauty is in the eye of the beholder." I always tell people, if you find something that you like and it costs $10 and you get it at your local store, go for it. You know, it's what you're paying for is not necessarily the name or the I mean, quality. Sure. But you're also paying for the work that has gone into producing it and harvesting the grapes and fermentation process. There's a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I've I've been that way before too, where I've had four hundred dollar bottles of wine. Our manager had us over to his house and he opened up his cellar and said, Pull out what you want. So we pulled out like a four hundred dollar bottle of wine and we tasted it. And most of us most of us were like, Meh, it's okay. You know, and <laughs> it, you know, it's a thirty year old bottle of wine. So that's the thing, is you there's a lot of pretentiousness that can go with it. And that's sort of what the stigma is with, you know, if you're a sommelier or whatever the case might be, but what you're really paying for is the, is the experience of it. And that's kind of the deal. And I don't know how wineries set their prices. There's a lot of things that go into all of that, but it just depends. You know, I've had some $20 bottles of wine, that tastes like they could be $200 bottles of wine. I mean, sometimes you're paying for the name. Sometimes you're paying for a lot of different things. You know, if it's a reserve wine or an estate wine, there's just a million different categories. But I find it interesting because there are some people who, for them, their $200 bottle of wine is like an everyday drinkable for them. That's like, hey, table wine. You know, you just pull it off and open it. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. I've, I have seen and talked to people who have spent a thousand dollars on a bottle of wine, one big swing. So, you know, and it came in a really nice box and it had a key and in a certificate of authenticity. And so for those bottles, that's what you're paying for. You're also paying for the fact that 
this one particular block of grapes may only be able to be harvested once every 10 years. And so when that 10 years comes along and they harvest those grapes, it's like, hey, we're only making five cases of this wine. So this is very limited, very highly allocated. So our winemaker has decided to put a price point on this of 300 bucks. And you tell people about it. And if it's, it's crazy, like I could go into so much detail about what people look into when they want to buy a bottle of wine. It's absolutely insane. It blows my mind. But hey, as long as people continue to buy it and I get paid for it, I'll sell you whatever you want. Whether it's a $20 bottle or a $2,000 bottle, if that's your thing, then, you know, then I'll do it. But I love my job. It's a lot of fun. And uh, there's just, it's a lot, but it's, it's a very interesting job. But, you know, it's like everybody has their thing. Some people buy technology, some people buy electronics. Um, It just depends on what you're looking for. (laughs) So you're essentially selling status and rarity. Yeah, yeah. Prestige. Kind of like, um, as an analogy, I'd like to point out the Apple Watch. Totally. When the Apple Watch first came out, there was a gold version. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't solid gold. No. It was a gold, you know, thin gold plate. So maybe it cost, you know, I don't know, $50 more to make, maybe even $100 more to make. Mm-hmm. It was selling for $10,000. Sure. It's obsolete now. The innards can't be updated anymore. Mm-mm. And the innards of that watch were the same as the $350 or $400 sport. Mm-hmm. So would that be a fair analogy to the wine? Yeah, pretty much. It's like, you know, the older the vintage year, the more expensive it's probably going to be. But some vintage years are better than others. 2010, 2011, and twelve weren't super great years for harvest in the valley. 13 and 14 were great. 2009, 2008 were great years. One year we had an earthquake. One year we had a drought. One year it rained too much. And so, and this last year we had fires. So now that harvest fortunately was okay. But now people are saying, well, what if the grapes have a smoke flavor to them? Well, that could either be really good or it could be really, really bad. So, yeah, that's a perfect good, that's a great analogy. It's the same kind of thing. It's, you know, the difference between 13 and 14 could be minimal or it can be significant, but you'll never know until you open it up and experience it. And then, but yes, your your analogy would be fair and correct. Cool. Now, I think you've um, brought up with me in the past, um, offline, et cetera, that you're former military. Correct. Uh, U.S. Air Force. I served eight years in the military. Um, Four of those I spent in Germany. And then the other four I spent in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, And that brings us to the broadcasting school. Yes. So got out of the military and I had grand visions of going to college and becoming a pastor. That was really what I wanted to do. But that's not what happened. So I wound up staying local and met a girl and that went on for some time and then that ended drastically. And so, but while I was there, that's what brought me to the Broadcasting Academy. And I got involved a little bit with just 
the film industry in New Mexico and just a lot mm. of different things. And so, yeah, that's what kept me there for a long time. Breaking Bad. Did you do anything on that? I or? did. Yes. I worked on Breaking Bad. I worked on a lot of different shows. I worked on In Plain Sight. I, there were several movies, The Lone Ranger. I worked on that. I worked on Fright Night with Colin Farrell. Just a lot of different things. Yeah. I was a SAG background actor for about four years while I was there. The sec- I moved away for a while and then I moved back. When I moved back, that's when I got involved in the film industry, had an agent and went out and auditioned for different shows, different movies, commercials, Longmire. I mean, just the list goes on and on and uh, got to experience that. And that said, it kind of lent itself to my personality because growing up, I was very, I would put my brother and I would put on shows for my parents, all kinds of things. So it was a natural thing for me to go and do that. So yeah, but Breaking Bad was probably one of the most funnest experience I've ever had um, as a background extra on that and in plain sight with Mary McCormick and Fred Welker. It just, you know, it was a crazy time and, and it was fun because it was a way to make extra money and kind of to be around the film industry and TV industry and, and see how that worked out as well. Okay. Did you do um, much on the crew at all, or is it all um, primarily extra work? And uh... it was primarily extra work. Okay. Um, I did some production assistant work on like some independent films in this, in, like the colleges would do. And that's how I got started. Mm-hmm. I started out doing that, but I wanted to do film. I wanted to be on camera. And so I had met someone who she's now one of the biggest agents in the Southwest and she's got offices in LA now, but at the time she was just getting started out also. And she took me under her wing and she helped me put a resume together and how to get headshots. And we did that. And then she took over an agency and started sending me out for auditions. And that was a lot of fun, but I did a little bit of both. So I had made sure that, I could do both. So if the acting thing didn't work out or the TV thing didn't work out, I could just do crew work because there's a lot of that to be done. And and once you get involved in that and become union, then the work really just kind of becomes unlimited and you can pretty much do anything. Yeah. It's a, I've been on some film sets and things like that. Um, extra work, et cetera. I know with the, the crews and things that they almost get to be like family. Where totally. if, if you're um, working as a gaffer on one film, you know, for others, they just mm-hmm. sort of pull you they do. to the next project. They do. Because it's hard to find a good worker who's willing to go 16 right. hours a day. <laughs> just yeah, I started out slave. as a production assistant, which I, my first job was working on... It was a TV show. It's not on anymore, and it only lasted for a couple seasons. It was called Crash, and it was with Dennis Hopper. And then when Dennis Hopper passed away, the show ended. But my first job was... (laughs) So I stood on the end of a street with a sign, and the sign said, Filming in Progress, and then... There was like, basically it was 
an anonymity agreement saying that if you drive down this road, you are allowing us to use your car, your likeness, your personality, whatever in the film. You're not going to get paid for it. You're just it's mm-hmm. called free background is what we call it. So and I stood there and there was maybe like one car that passed in like a 12 hour day. And that was my job. I stood there with a sign and <laughs> that was it. And I did that. And, and you didn't, you didn't even have to turn it around to say slow and stop. I didn't No, And <laughs> cause <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was in this armpit town in New Mexico and they were filming a scene where this police officer, a highway patrol officer, was pulling over the actor. It wasn't Dennis Hopper. It was another name. I can't think of it offhand. But anyway, Michael Bean or something like that. And so that was the shot for 12 hours that day. That's what they were filming, all the different angles and coverage. And my job was just to stand there with the sign. And that was it. (laughs) And I was excited, though, because I was working on a movie. And that was a credit that I was going to be able to do. And so I did that, eventually moved up. But then I was like, I want to be on camera, which a lot of those people do. Everybody wants to do it. It's just you got to know somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I happened upon my friend Carissa, who is now an agent in New Mexico. And she works with everybody. But at the time, you know, she took me under her wing. So it was a lot of fun. But uh, a lot of long hours just standing, doing nothing. Yeah, I don't know if um, you ever heard the story about Robert Rodriguez when he was uh, filming El Mariachi. He did it with a really, really low budget. He did the medical um, trials in order to get the money to actually film it. But one funny part of the story was he needed extras and he needed people. So he went to a a heavily touristy area where there'd be a ton of Americans, but he put up signs all over warning them, kind of like your sign, but he made sure to put it in Spanish so that way nobody could complain and they didn't know what they were inadvertently agreeing to. That's a great idea because that's what makes him such a great director is because he is so dedicated to making films and he's so used to doing it on a small budget. And every year he has a contest where he opens it up to filmmakers they submit their work and then they get like a $2,000 budget to make like a 20 minute movie. And I actually have a friend in New Mexico who was a part of that contest and won. And then he gets to be a part of the production company and they can make a bigger budget film. So that's a funny story, but that's just the kind of guy he is, I think, from, from what I've been told. Yeah, he's fantastic. He complained a lot about the, quote, money hose in Hollywood. They, they solve everything with the money host throw money at it and he's like no be creative yeah you can do something really good with a little bit of money if you have the passion to do it that's why i think we podcast because we don't have any money but or sense or sense yeah so <laughs> we do what we have to do to get it done but we put out content and quality for people that they like and You know, I'm a part of a couple affiliate programs that I use to sort of help subsidize the cost. I haven't made a lot, but it's just kind of getting the ball rolling. So one day, you know, when we're averaging, you know, 30,000, 40,000 downloads an episode, we can have companies like Midroll come to us and say, hey, we want to advertise on your podcast. So let's talk about Toyota cars. (laughs) Exactly. 
Now, moving back to uh, New Mexico a little bit, um, your agent, um, you said Carissa? Carissa Mitchell, yes. Have you ever had her on? I have reached out to her, but she's super busy. Actually, when I first started doing the podcast, I reached out to her, and she said she would love to be a part of it. But she's so, so busy and keeps a very tight schedule. And I don't know. I've tried a couple times, but... um, you know, she, she just has a lot going on and, you know, I'll get her on eventually. I still text with her occasionally. We keep in touch, but she just, what she does is insane. The amount of work that she has to do. And in that particular work, you know, you can't miss a phone call. You can't miss an email. Uh, cause you know, time is literally money for those people. So, and then she gets commission off of it, but I, I would like to have her on. It's just been, uh, you know, missing each other on, on the radar to, to try and make that happen. Sure. Now, um, you had mentioned before you've got a couple affiliates who are trying to grow the show. Have you come to find out that uh, this gig is not easy when you have a day job? It's not. It really has become a second job for me, and I'm okay with that. Like I said... When I first started out doing doing the podcast, I just did it on my phone, and I liked it, and I think within my first episode, I had like 120 listens just like on Anchor. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not expecting that, so I invested in a computer, a microphone, but it, it is really, it is a daily grind. It's like a second job, so you have to decide you know, what approach are you going to take to do it? And are you willing to, I'm not married. I have my son, you know, uh, certain days of the week. So when I'm done working, I can come home and dedicate time. But because I have an illness, I have lupus, I mentioned this, it tends to make me, and I was diagnosed with this a couple years ago, you know, in Crohn's disease too, actually, because it's just a genetic thing but it causes me to get really exhausted really fast. And so if I have an episode like you and I talked a couple days ago and it I just got it out today. I was able to go through it and you fortunately you provided me that, that audio to help. But yeah, it t- to answer your question, it can be very challenging, but I think for me it's a form of creative outlet to be able to do something that I love to do. You know, like you mentioned, I talk to people that I would never talk to on a daily basis. Some of these people would never give me the time of day, you know. So it's like this is an opportunity for me to, to scratch that itch, like you said, and to, to reach out to some crazy people. And I, I think they say yes because it's an opportunity for them to reach to, to, to reach a different audience than they might on their normal platform. And if they're really concerned about their brand and their celebrity, you know, they they will probably say yes to to it. So it's a long answer, but it's true. It can be very difficult, uh, especially if you have things that you have to do when you get home. I don't know if you have any children or you know, you're you're married, but it's like you, you have all those things to do and then now I have to produce a podcast and get it out. And I'm learning to be very light-handed on my audio editing at this point. Before I was very meticulous, 
but I've reached out to a few people and they've all said the same thing. You know, you have to think about it like this. You know, if you were doing a live call-in show, you wouldn't be able to edit some ums and some uh and this and that. So you just have to learn to do it in a way. And I'm trying to build a website too. So there's a million <laughs> and one things that I have a friend who's doing it for me and he's a, he does it professionally, but he's doing it for free. So I'm paying him something, but you know, I'm learning how to do that too, building content and get it all up and running. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of work, but I, I think, you know, and you would agree it's worth it because we're doing something that's fun. We're talking to people that we probably would never have conversations with on a day to day basis. I wouldn't have ever spoken to that actress I had on the other day any other way, you know, who's a huge star on was a huge star on ABC sitcom and I reached out to her as a podcaster and she said, yes. So it's just, it's a cool thing. Well, that's awesome. And I think that's what we're both working forward to do and hopefully grow our audiences. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm getting to know your audience a little bit. You're getting to know my audience and hopefully everybody check out the open mic podcast where no subject is off limits. Yeah. Well, I say that I've had, I've had people say, trust me, I can find a limit. (laughs) <laughs> that's true i mean I, I am willing to talk about anything but there is probably a line somewhere <laughs> i just i i don't know that i would have like a neo-nazi on but <laughs> you know i've had it's interesting i've had some really crazy people message me uh through social media mediums wanting to to be on the show mm-hmm. and some of them i'm like huh you know I don't know. Um, I just kind of have to decide, you know, if it's a subject that 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 I'm willing to dive into. I've had political hosts on. I've had, you know, I had a Fox News. He was a, I don't know what the term would be, a stringer for like Fox News. Hmm. Not necessarily like working for them directly, but he his big thing was reporting for them. You know, and his target audience was like millennial people, our age, and it was just a very awkward interview. How are you? Uh, I actually, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm 44. Okay, so I'm I'm just to turn 44 in two weeks. So that interview never actually made it to air because I sent him a copy just as a courtesy, but I I never put it on. I never posted it just because. It was very awkward, and even though I tried to edit things out, it just it was a flop. So <laughs> maybe one day if I become famous, I might put it out, but it was rough. It was really, really rough. I may have to send you a copy of it. You should. I'm, I'm actually curious about that. Cause I... Yeah, I'm, if I can find it, I, I'll send it to you for sure. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to publish it, so we're just going to tease the Please audience. don't. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. But, hey, thanks so much for coming on, Brad. This is really yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I'm excited and definitely look forward to doing some more collaboration down the road for sure. All right. Now, everybody, check it out. Again, the Open Mic Podcast, colon, where no subject is off limits, but better Just search for Brett Allen, (laughs) A-L-L-A-N. You'll have the best luck finding it that way.
Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Now, tonight's adventure into the unknown. Shut up and sit down. Sarge and Frenzy from the Sarge Approved Podcast. Uh, if you're not familiar, the Sarge Approved Podcast has a guest every episode featuring uh, people like actors, comedians, uh, survival experts, authors, martial arts experts, basically a whole gamut of badass people. Yes. And you can check out all our episodes on all the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spreaker, uh, Stitcher, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, um, yeah. you can check us out on all our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the things. It's all at Sarge Approved. Yep. Check it out, and we hope you enjoy it. Bye.